This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is uh, the car show here on BFM. It's cruise control, of course. And as usual, I'm on the phone line with my two friends, my buddies, my best mates, Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. Say hello, Daniel. I'm drawn to tears. I'm your best friend. (laughs) Hello, everybody. And it's a wonderful day to be Richard's best friend. (laughs) (laughs) And Arif Roos, he's that man with the news. Hey, Arif. Hello, I'm, I am too very uh, happy to hear those words, Rich. Aww. Aww. <laughs> uh, as usual, a car show in three parts. We've got some news and discussion at the top of the show. We've then moving on to some car launches a little bit later on. And then a used car review towards the end. The Nissan Murano. Mm-hmm. Right. What have you got to tell us, Arif? Yesterday, um, Carsum announced some pretty big things and they did say something about their next big step towards becoming Southeast Asia's largest online used car dealer. And uh, they introduced something called Carsum Certified Lab, which I quote, they say is Southeast Asia's largest state-of-the-art car refurbishment facility that's able to make a pre-owned car as good as new. So this facility, they took us around on Zoom, because everything's virtual these days, of their 185,000 square feet place, mm-hmm. which includes paint labs, panel beating, engine suspension, and even car detailing. So all of their cars will go through this like 175-point inspection and then get an extended warranty before it reaches you. So it all sounds very good. And at the risk of this part sounding like a sponsored piece, it <laughs> is essentially a glorified in-house workshop with lots of money and marketing behind it. But um, I love the idea. I mean, I haven't heard any bad things in general about cars. I mean, I think it's bound to shake up the other big local used car dealers who offer similar things like extended warranty and fix up the cars themselves with their uh, contacts and workshops, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, I guess they don't have the branding and the chops for customer service as it's being put or the backdrop of being, you know, Southeast Asia's largest online used car dealer or having a valuation of $1.7 billion US dollars and seeking an IPO. So, mm. It's an opportunity to shake things up. It is indeed. Um, also, speaking of uh, used cars, there's been uh, quite a lot of brand-led certified used car programs popping up. Sime Darby's got one, BMW, Mercedes, Toyota, Proton, and Paradua. Now there's the Honda Certified Used Car Program. What's that all about? Well, you know, Richard, this is quite interesting because this is not the first time that Honda has looked at used cars. Actually, they started this in Japan many, many years ago, Mm. you know? But I think for this part of the world, they thought, let the the small used car dealers survive and let them do what they need to do and we'll just keep moving along. Also, because Honda resale values have been very good for the past many years, you know? As Mm. as you know, people buy Hondas and they don't lose a lot of money and they're very happy and, you know, they keep going back to Honda. But like you said just now with uh, Kasim, there's a lot of this uh, used car, you know, online big boys coming in now and they are yeah. trying to shake up the market and, you know, they could indirectly play around with pricing and, you know, make certain brands lose more than they should, you know? That, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. So Honda being smart, they've got a huge footprint in Malaysia. They've got a lot of dealers. They have the space. They have the know-how. So they've decided to go into the used car market and this way they can control the used car prices 
Plus, they're giving a warranty. So they're basically telling this unicorns as such, hey, I can do a better job because why? I've already got the workshops. I've already mm-hmm. got the people. And my guys are trained with Hondas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes more sense for the used car buyer to come back to me yeah. rather than go to a third party who might not be completely trained in this vehicle. Because as these vehicles get more complicated, you know, you do need training and you need some special tools. Each brand has their own unique parts to worry about. Indeed, indeed. So um, somebody wanted to talk about car tires, right? Some, yeah, did you get yeah, like yeah. A, a listener asking about this? Yeah, so uh, it was actually quite some time ago. I'm sorry. Uh, we were talking about something and car tires, the issue of car tires and, you know, car maintenance came up and um, somebody wanted us to maybe impart some tips about what you should look out for and how you should take care of them. Because at the bottom line, there are four tires that are responsible for sticking your car to the road. So you can't neglect these things, right, Daniel? You see, Arif, the thing is, uh, I'm, I'm the first to admit, uh, I always forget my tires, you know? <laughs> it's like shoes. You know, you, you, you look at your shoes, you, you, you polish them, but you never look underneath. <laughs> oh. you, never, you never check if the, if the, huh. the, 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 the you know, the, the, the traction is there, you know? Yeah. Un- until yeah. you slip and fall or you almost slip, then you say, oops, I think I need a new pair of shoes. So uh-huh. just like that with tires, you know, you always, if you're almost slipping, you always say, oh, the road is wet. Town Council didn't maintain the road. Actually, you should be checking your tread depth, your tyre pressure. I mean, tyre pressure is something which I do check. Mm. Because visually, every now and then, you know, I'm one of those guys, you know, when you park your car, after a while you turn back and look at it as you walk away, you know? Yes. You know? I don't know <laughs> yes. about you guys because you guys drive cars that are problematic. So, <laughs> so we, we turn on when we see it at the workshop, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see, I, I love my cars because my cars don't give me any problems. So whenever I park my car, I look back and say, hey, the rear left tire looks like it's a little bit low on air. So mm-hmm. I will go and do the tire pressure check. And I do it also for my wife. And that is a no-brainer. But when it comes to actually checking the tire properly, and this is the, the problem with a lot of people. It doesn't matter whether you're Malaysian, male, female, old, young, and all that. It's black. It's dirty. You yeah. don't want to deal with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like a garbage bin. I mean, your whole house may be spick and span, but your garbage bin outside is filthy and smelly, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you never bother to clean it or wash it or give it a good scrub. <laughs> so just like that with your tires, you know? I'm saying, you know, let's look into your tires because why? It's the last hope for keeping you alive on the road, you know? It is, yeah. It's it's holding you together. It's keeping you on the right track. So it's simple things, you know, every now and then if you take the car to a car wash or you wash the car yourself, since you're already doing it, your fingers touch the footprint of the tire, make sure that the tread is okay, the depth mm. is okay. You know, you've got enough tire pressure, check the valve. Just open, open the little cap. If you don't have any caps, some caps go missing or some people steal it. <laughs> just make sure the cap is on tight. I look at it this way. Like I tell my wife and also for all my friends, every time you service your car, get your tires rotated, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, hey, you know, it's 120 ringgit or 200 ringgit or 80 ringgit or whatever. Depends where you go and what you do. But it's very important. It's also good for the even tread wear. It's also good because when you go to the tie shop, automatically they check your valve, they check everything for you. And you're also getting your alignment checked because why? You might be losing a little bit of alignment where your tire wear should be uneven. And then when it's uneven, you have to change two tires for no reason, you know, or you Mm. get very bad handling. So when you service your car, just automatically get your tires checked, rotated and balanced. Mm. Of course, when people talk about wear and tire maintenance, I guess people always want to look for a prescriptive 
time frame. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, but I look at it this way. If you're doing a lot of driving, you're obviously going to be using your tires and also you're going to be wearing your engine. So the servicing mm. time is the best time to do it. Now, if you're if you're one of those people who have a long service period, like my, my cars get serviced at four to five thousand kilometers. Some people service at ten thousand. I think four to five thousand is the right time to get your tires checked. Because you got to understand, our roads are getting harsher. The potholes are there. The, the you know what I call the manhole covers sticking out. They're still there. The grime, whatever else, people are dropping all kinds of rubbish on the road. Motorcyclists carrying food, spare parts, all are dropping little bits and pieces on the road. So you know, four to five thousand kilometers is fair. Yes, it's a cost, but this is very important. Tires are very important, and you know, I again admit, I do forget sometimes. I have noticed recently we've been driving around a little bit or rather I have been being driven around a little bit in, <laughs> in the car uh, and particular areas obviously the roads are a lot less well maintained uh, mm. and we've had a couple of punctures even within the last couple of months just that's driving steadily little slow punctures that all of a sudden you, you know that BMW sound area for that <laughs> you, you know what I mean the bings that, and the bongs the bings yeah. and the bongs you switch it on it's like low tire pressure I only change this tire a month ago why is it and so you know you've got a slow puncture somewhere and so you're going around all the tires and you quickly check in all the air pressures and whatnot if somebody's in a situation like that asking for a friend what do you do well you know again visit your local tire shop you must have a local tire shop if you don't have one find one ask mm. a friend ask a ask someone who's who's close to you or you know someone who's been driving for many years to recommend their shop like I've, that's I've why I'm asking to, you, Daniel. Yeah, I've been going. I've been going to the same guy for 15 years, and he has not failed me. You know. Uh huh. Uh huh. And I recommend a lot of people to him. So after this, I will share with you his details. That works for me. Yes, because if I share with you right now, then people say it's uh, it's uh, you know advertising. But you know, I've been going to the same guy for 15 odd years. He does a good job. He has never failed me. And you know, sometimes when you keep going to the same guy over and over, if you have a small problem, he doesn't charge you. You know. Because mm -hmm. he knows you're going to come back. Exactly. And he knows, you know, oh, this guy's tire already four years old, a time to change. He will definitely come back and see me, you know? Right. So we've got tips. So far, we've had, you know, to routinely check them. What else do we need to do? Well, there's no harm in actually going in and actually getting your tires checked if you happen to be in the neighborhood. I mean, a lot of tire shop guys, like, like my regular guy, if I'm driving past, if I just go in and say, hey, boss, can you check my tire? The steering a bit, you know, moving to the left or it's pulling to the right a bit. He's mm. not going to charge you couple of dollars for that mm. he will have a look around he'll you know kick it a few times or maybe he'll take it for a quick drive and tell you nah it's nothing just keep on driving or mm. he might notice hey you, you know you have a slow lead because there's a nail inside cars with tire pressure monitoring systems like you guys have your expensive cars you know there's always something that's telling you there's something wrong with the tire but it's yeah. not always correct also you understand yes. what i'm saying <laughs> yes uh, that reading that little device is not perfectly correct all the time because i know friends of mine have come and told me they've gone over and over to the tire shop and the guy says no there's nothing wrong with your tire but you know if you want me to spend some time doing something to it i will do and i'll charge you money yes for, it. for sure okay so i mean there's one thing people are confused about or you know my friends who aren't particularly interested in cars and it has to do with tire age and i think that's a quite a curious thing because normally people say when you ask like car enthusiasts they always say oh change your tires every four or five years because they're you know dry rotted and everything but we don't generally do that because tires are expensive so is that something that's you know okay to do okay um i'm not a tire expert but i'll tell you from my experience you know 30 over years of driving and driving all kinds of cars and i've got 
a few cars in the house all use different tires, different sizes, different. Mm. Some are rated for speed, some are rated for economy. I will tell you this: if the tire is more than, sorry, I'll say between four to five years. Don't go more than five years. As simple as that. Even mm. if you have full tread, now I've got one car which I hardly use during lockdown. The last lockdown. The tire had already gone past five years. I didn't realize because I hardly used the car because the tread is almost like twenty percent worn. You know? Mm. Yeah, it's it's one of uh, Daniel's many, 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 many cars, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's and it's not a fast car. So I went to get it serviced, and when I went to get it serviced, my mechanic said, "Hey, do you know your tire is already past five years?" I said. Yeah, but the tread is so nice. He said, yeah, but it's past five years. You know, it's it, the rubber compound has changed. Mm-hmm. We're experiencing hotter weather. At that time, there was a little bit of a heat wave. Now it's different. So I went to my tire shop, which is just around the corner. The guy looked at the tires. He said, listen, you're not driving this car a lot. You're not driving fast. I think you can let it go for another one year. So it's it's a give and take. You understand what I'm saying? Mm, mm. Now, on my wife's car, which is a little bit of a performance car, it's a sedan. She uses it every day. Now, even though her mileage is low and the tire wear is low, we still change the tires every three to four years. Because why? She's driving in all kinds of conditions. She drives fast, you know. So there is a need to keep the tires in really good condition. So it's a give and take. And like I said, you know, if you've got a good tire shop guy, someone you can trust, someone you know is not going to make you change your tires for no reason, trust what he tells you. All right. And on that note, with Daniel telling us to trust what your mechanic is telling you, I don't think I've ever heard that anywhere else before. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the first time. You heard it here first. It's time for us to wrap up for this segment. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll be giving you some car launches. And I believe we have quite a few car launches to get through. So we have to take a break here on Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Rich Bradbury. I'm on the line with Arif Ruse, the man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, Richard. Hello, best friends. And Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, I'm, st- I'm still so happy that you call me your best friend. If you want to get in touch with us via Instagram, we do have an Instagram page. Arif, what is it? At BFM Cruise Control. There you go. Uh, right, onwards and upwards, let's have some car launches. What are we starting off with? It's not so much of a car launch, really, is it? It's, well... Car on launch? Yes. A disappearance, perhaps. And it's a disappearance from Jeep. Why? <laughs> this is sad. No? This is really, really sad. I mean, we all know Jeep. The Wrangler, yeah. the Cherokee, you know, the Compass. They're all good-looking vehicles. They're all, you know, they're designed to just go off-road. They're designed to be abused, and they can't take it. The company has been around for such a long time. You know, they've done well. But somehow or other in Malaysia, they just don't survive, you know? Expensive. And I tell you this because this is the third time Jeep has come and gone in Malaysia, okay? Yeah. Mm. Now, the, the first time was before you were born, Arif. Mm-hmm. Before you were born, before you were <laughs> even thought about. Okay, Jeep was in Malaysia. It was under a group called MBF. I don't know if you heard of them. Nope. MBF is still around. They're very small. They used to be a huge... A company diversified in you know property, banking, finance, agriculture, hospitality, blah blah blah. They also had the car business. They also did Peugeot. They were the first people to do Peugeot in Malaysia, or was it the second? I'm not sure. Anyway, so they had Jeep. They had two models, but it didn't last. They had the Cherokee 2.5 and the Cherokee 4 liter. Plus, they had the 
famous Wrangler. They mm. sold quite a few units. There were enough people buying these cars. But then after a while, they slowly <laughs> disappeared. I think it's because Jeep did not have anything new, exciting. Because in America, Jeep was just Jeep. They thought, I don't need to come up with brand new, exciting products every few years. Because why? I've got an iconic design. It'll just keep running. But you know, in Asia, you need to keep improving the design. You get to put some sex appeal in it. You got to get some toys in the cabin. Uh, Jeep Mm. didn't have all this. So, they slowly disappeared. And then, a few years ago, Jeep reappeared in Malaysia under DRB Highcom. Mm -hmm. Now, when they reappeared, they had a whole bunch of products. So, DRB Highcom opened up a big showroom. They they got some dealers involved around the country. And they started launching all the new models. But big engines. Big, brawny engines. It's almost as if they tried to go the premium route. Yes. Now, initially, they did sell well. And I'll say this, and I said this a few times when Jeep was under DRB. What you got is a whole bunch of buyers who used to study in America, you know? (laughs) And when they studied in America in their younger days, they looked at Jeeps, you know, their their friends who were Americans Mm. or locals. Mm. And you see a Jeep everywhere and it's so trendy, it's so rugged and everything else. Of course, you could buy old Jeeps for cheap, you know, like like a thousand US dollars, 500 US dollars. I even know a friend of mine when he was studying there, he bought a Wrangler for like 50 US dollars and then he spent another like 100 US dollars just touching it up and he used it for a year, you know? Mm -hmm. And when he sold it, he sold it to another Malaysian student for more than 200 US, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that's how the market is there. But over here, because of the big CC, you know, their petrol guzzlers, you had this, you know, a few hundred Malaysians who had enough money to say, I want a Jeep because I remember the Jeep from my college days, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The surge in buyers was there. And then after that, all quiet. And I mean, quiet means quiet as a museum. Sales just literally stopped. I mean, from the pictures you showed, at least a museum is populated. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and the thing is, you see, there were no new models coming in with new technology, new engines, and there was nothing below 2.5 litre, you know? Yeah. So for Malaysia, if you got 2 litre, 1.5, 1.8 turbocharged, you'll sell. But there was nothing. Meanwhile, DRB Highcom said, I think that's enough. You know, it's costing us too much money to keep the showrooms open, keep the staff going. So they wound down the business, but they kept the after sales going because they had warranty packages that were giving out. And DRB is an automotive group. They had to show that they're in for the long haul. You understand mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the interesting part. A few years after that, and this is the pictures that I showed, Jeep came back for the third time. But this time, it came with an AP holder. Now, meanwhile, DRB is still holding the franchise agreement, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> So this AP holder decides to bring in Jeeps through a dealer in Indonesia. It's a bit complicated. He redirects supply of cars from Indonesia. The Indonesian guy is also his partner. And they open a Jeep showroom, but they're not officially Jeep. But they're selling new models coming from Indonesia with a localized, sorry, a localized warranty from their workshop. Huh. Now, they did do a few numbers because why? by that time, there were new Jeep models coming in the new Wrangler, the new Compass, the new Cherokee, they did manage to sell a few cars. They did a big promo and everything else. But within a few months, it it slowly tapered off because again, there's a small surge of buyers and then they realize, hey, this is not official factory Jeep warranty. This is not an official car. You know, the specs are slightly different. And meanwhile, DRB is just watching and saying, how many units are you going to do? (laughs) You know, Uh with the new showroom and everything else. So of course, within less than a year, they are so slowly tutup kedai. They didn't announce it. They didn't tell anyone. We were just communicating with the salesperson. And then finally, they said, actually, um, no more cars. Like, we're not selling any more cars because <laughs> there's no point. So the, the showroom is completely empty. I don't know what they're going to do with it. But meanwhile, now comes Jeep 2022. 
Now, Jeep 2022 globally has got 1.3 engines. They've got 1.8 engines. They've got 2-liter engines. They've got a lot of interesting new engines. They've got a lot of interesting new models. They've got compact models. Mm. And, you know, these are now ready for the ASEAN market. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, will DRB reintroduce them? But here's the thing. Jeep globally is now part of the Stellantis group. Yeah. Okay, so Stellantis has Peugeot and they've all a whole bunch of other models, including Jeep. Now, Stellantis has got a factory here. And Stellantis now is recommitted to the Peugeot brand with Bajaya and Burmas. And they're selling Peugeots, local assembled at Gurun, at their plant. Mm. So, rumor now is that they're going to start bringing in some Jeeps, especially the, the ones with the smaller engines, to be assembled in Malaysia and Gurun for the regional markets. Does that mean we will get them? But will they come under Stellantis or will they come under DRB Icom? We'll have to wait and see. You put your left leg in, your left leg. Complicated out. story, eh? Yes, <laughs> it is. It's a whole, it's a whole spiel. It's okie dokie. Yeah. So we're going to watch and see what happens, lah. I didn't expect that story to, to go on for that long, but we do have a couple of cars that we want to go through before going to the actual car launches that we want to talk about. Uh, the first one is the Ford Ranger Raptor. The new Ford Ranger was actually revealed last year, but now they've got a Ford Ranger Raptor and they've ditched the old turbo four-cylinder engine for a three-liter V6 with up to 290 horsepower. Uh, the press release just screams phrases like shock travel and bash plates and anti-lag turbo and jet plane inspired sports seats. Uh, mm. But the interesting thing is, apparently you will have two types of Ranger Raptors. One is the 3-liter V6, the other one is a 2-liter bi-turbo diesel. And that, I think, should appeal to a lot more Malaysians, especially now that we've got great diesel. Mm. But uh, there's another car that's particularly interesting. Uh, it's the McLaren Elva Roadster. It's been launched, and there's only 149 made around the world. And if you have 8.1 million ringgit, you can actually get one of these 149 cars so ex- exciting i guess yeah but uh, uh, sorry I have, to, I, have, <laughs> I have to remind you that 8.1 million ringgit is before taxes what? and and before a windscreen and before windows <laughs> he always spoils it you know yeah Eight, 8.1 million gets you a car from the factory in richard's hometown england mm-hmm. but it <laughs> comes you're gonna get it here <laughs> Without windscreen, without windows, without delivery, without a lot of things. So you have to tick all the option boxes. Now, it's estimated that the minimum options that you tick will come up to 10 million ringgit before delivery and taxes. So if you add everything up, you're looking at the kind of money that only you know Goldman Sachs <laughs> employees <laughs> can afford. Yeah. <laughs> the car that came to Malaysia... This week was car number 000, simply because this is the car that's going around the world. It's actually on its way to Thailand right now. Uh, it's going to be launched in Thailand. Uh, I mean, unveiled in Thailand, and then they're looking for buyers. Uh, I've asked the local McLaren Kuala Lumpur office if any Malaysian has ordered one. They smiled and said, uh, we cannot share that information. So I think someone has ordered it, you know, because they didn't say no. Uh-huh. They didn't say yes. Mm-hmm. Very so, interesting. Uh, yeah, but rumor, rumor is that it's someone that owns BFM. Uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did see somebody with a Rolls Royce color in with the number plate BFM one. Exactly, exactly. So you know, it could be. <laughs> oh, anyway, I didn't so send you that picture of the Rolls Royce, did I? Oh, no, I sent yeah. it to you. No, I have another one. Oh yes, sir. Yeah. So there's two. <laughs> uh huh. Yes. Yeah, because I saw it on the road. I took a picture. I sent it to you guys. This was weeks ago. Anyway, so this car is so exclusive. 
cars like this will end up being in somebody's garage, somebody's warehouse, just for visual presentation. It'll never be driven. You'll never see that 4-litre V8 explode. 804 brake horsepower. Top speed is 326 kilometres an hour. 0 to 102.8. Who is going to do all that? Because they'll say this car is so exclusive, so expensive. I better keep it because I don't any grime, any dirt on it, you know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> move on, move on. Come on. What, what else we got? What else we got? Next, we've got another very, very interesting car. It's called the Toyota Voxy, and it has a tagline called Pleasant Voyage. Mm, it is. Now, I, I put up this story simply because, I mean, you know, some people say I was late to put up the story. I wasn't late. I was watching all the other news portals put it up and say, oh, you know, Indonesia got it, Indonesia got it, Indonesia got it. Now, the Toyota Voxy is now in its fourth generation. It's basically a baby alpha, okay? Yeah. And it's a JDM van. Now, in the past... Indonesia did not, you know, bring in vehicles like this because they had the Avanza, they had the Innova, which was doing very well. Mm. Yeah. So when it comes to people carriers, Toyota, PT, Astra, Toyota, which is the equivalent to UMW Toyota in Malaysia, the, the local distributor, saw there was little need to do this because you had a whole section of the car buying community that was not able to go up in terms of, you know, value. And then you had the super luxury, which will buy the Alpha and the Velfire. So this sits somewhere in between. It's like a Nissan Serena, Mazda, Biante kind of price range. Mm -hmm. So now in Indonesia, it is launched for about 160,000 Malaysian ringgit. They have taxes there. They have delivery costs and everything else. It's coming in officially, but it's a Japanese import. So that means the Indonesian economy has gone up so much forward that now there's a whole new middle class that can afford a vehicle like this above an Avanza or an Innova, which is good news for Indonesia. Now, the reason why I took my time to put up the story is because in the past year, we've seen a lot of the older Toyota Voxine and also their it's sibling called the Nova yeah. being imported into Malaysia by grey importers. Now, it looks almost the same, but it's got slightly less features. It's still got you know uh, electric doors. It's got a nice two-liter engine. It's got the footprint of, say, a Nissan Serena, but it's got the look of the Alphard. Mm. Now, the grey importers are selling two to five-year-old units for between 120,000 to 155,000 ringgit. Now, 120,000 gets you a more basic model and slightly older. You get a two-year-old unit for about 155,000. Now, I'm thinking this. If UMW Toyota were to bring in the Voxy, just like what PT Astra did in Indonesia, mm -hmm. and sell it for around 160 or even 170,000 ringgit, who would buy a used two-year-old one with no after-sales and no warranty? At the moment, this segment, if you want to buy new, there is only the Nissan Serena. Mm -hmm. Will this succeed? Will, will the looks, you know, because it has the same sort of design features as the Alpha, but it's not big, it's not imposing, it's, it's just like a miniature version. Yes, I, I will say it's still imposing, Arif. The only thing is, is the footprint is smaller, so it actually... You know, it's easier to get into a mall car park. It's easier to park it in a normal public car park. The size is just nice. You still fit six to seven people comfortably. It's just that with the Alpha, you just got wider seats, Captain captain's chairs. chair and everything else, which, okay, for the super rich, you can buy that and pay almost, you know, 350 to 400,000 brand new or recon for 250. But this makes more sense. And the fact that the Nissan Serena is at a five, six year you know, reign of being the only one in the market because Mazda stopped selling the Biante. Honda doesn't have the Spada being sold. The Spada is an equivalent size. That also is coming in as grey imports. And the other brands don't have something to, to compete. So this is going to be a real good market entry if UMW Toyota... And, you know, while we're, we're saying this, I'm sure someone from UMW Toyota is listening and saying, okay, I'm going to put that in the plan for this year, you know? Well, uh, you know, the youth Exco members do need a car, right? 
Exactly. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Enough speculation. We've got to move on. Come on, come on. What right. have we got? Last week, I got to experience the Volkswagen Golf Mark 8. This is the brand new one. Um, they invited us to Sepang for a short test drive. By short, I mean I had to wait there for like three hours to spend two minutes in the car. But no. that's fine. I was late myself. Lucky you, because I didn't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is one of the most anticipated car launches of the year because there's the new Golf, and we all know how popular the Volkswagen Golf is yes, in Malaysia. Yes, yes. I mean, Daniel, you have like 12 by this time already, right? 13, actually. Okay, yes. Continue. <laughs> so they brought in three variants. The first, the base model is the 1.4 TSI that they're referring to as the R-Line. It's uh, locally produced, 155,000 ringgit. And the highlight of this car essentially is the seats because they are absolutely fantastic. The best seats I've ever sat in. Better than the Mazda I was talking about. Ooh. Yeah. Then they launched the GTI, which is another big news because... It's now locally produced, and this is the first time a GTI, a Golf GTI, is produced outside of the major markets in Germany and China. So mm -hmm. we have the privilege right over here. 212,000 ringgit, fantastic price, 245 horsepower, and a 7-speed DSG gearbox. Sounds good so far, Daniel? Sounds very good, and I'll come back to you on that later. Then they also launched the R. They tried to tease it to us, but I think all of the journalists knew because when we turned up to the track, there were R badges everywhere. Hmm. 356,000 ringgit, fully imported, and it's apparently very, very fun. Um, so a few first impressions. As I mentioned, interior looks great. Lots of space. It's a Golf. But as you know, I love Golf, but I'm not really into the Volkswagen Golf. And I can see why people say that while this new one is really great, it's definitely a different feeling Golf from the previous Mark 7 because it's big. It's a big Golf these days. <laughs> mm. I'm not sure if you share the same feeling, Daniel. I've I'm not driven it. I'm I'm going to be driving it soon, but I've not driven it yet. But from from what I've seen, it's it's wider, it's longer, it's more heft on it. So yes, it's a bigger car. You know, and cars every new model gets bigger. I mean, I have the Mark One Golf, and you park the Mark One Golf even next to a Mark Five, it's so much smaller. You know, mm -hmm. the only thing I'm going to say this is because I wanted to come back to what you said earlier about the Golf GTI price at two hundred twelve thousand. Fantastic price, and you know, just like the Arteon, they got the pricing right. You know, the spec and everything else, but. I'm just worried about the grey importers who brought in a lot of the Mark Seven and a half. Yeah, because they've been advertising the car for 180 to 220 thousand, and that's a two-year-old car, and that's an older model. So now with this new Golf Eight coming in at 212 thousand, who is going to buy the Mark Seven and a half for that price? So I think there's going to be a huge price discount on the Seven and a half at the grey imports, which means some people are going to wait and not buy this brand new GTI. It could go either way, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, the looks are different, you know, the features, the, the whole tech dashboard and everything else, the 7.5 doesn't have. But the 7.5 is still very much a raw Volkswagen Golf GTI. This one, I think, has become more refined. It's put on a bit of weight, you know? Yeah, it's a bit more modern. So, uh, WWDD, what would Daniel do? <laughs> um... I can't afford two hundred twelve thousand. I don't. I don't have a BFM salary, you know. But I think it's going to sell well. I'll wait for the second end one and see in about ten years' time. Well, we have one final car to go through very quickly. Is the Volvo XC90 B5 Inscription Plus? This is essentially the entry level XC90, but the only entry level thing about it is this powertrain because there's no more a plug-in hybrid. This is a mild hybrid, and you have about two hundred fifty horsepower, which I think is enough to power this whole heft of a car. And I think it might suit the car better than the T8. As I mentioned, the only thing entry-level is the powertrain. So you still get 360 camera, full Volvo safety suite, Bowser and Wilkins. But 
386,000 ringgit, that is 30,000 ringgit more than the X3 hybrid that we spoke about last week. You see, the thing is, you look at the BMW X3. Yes, it's, it's, it's new in terms of design, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still an X3 size. Yep. So it doesn't have a seven-row seat. It's slightly smaller. It's slimmer. And it's a plug-in hybrid. Whereas the Volvo is a mild hybrid. Now, we all know that plug-in hybrids have got more after-sales issues in the long run. Mild yep. hybrids are less problematic. So I think what Volvo has done is they've made this car so reasonable, so attractive that it's going to persuade BMW X3 customers to come into their showrooms. And I can see it happening because why? You get extra two rows of seats, you get a bigger vehicle. Whatever it is, the XC90 even now still looks very handsome on the road, right? It does. And you've got top spec equipment on the inside. And 30,000 ringgit. Now, 30,000 ringgit in this whole equation is like 9%, you know? (laughs) Now, for the buyer of this segment, paying 9% more, and then taking a loan of say seven, eight, nine years really doesn't make any difference to your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I get a bigger car, I get more seats, and I get a little bit of more bragging rights because nobody's going to say, oh, you're driving a $380,000 Volvo. They'll just look at it as a Volvo XC90, which is 400000 plus ringgit. So I think people will go more for the Volvo. And the timing is right. Just one week after the BMW came out. They were Oof. sitting on it. <laughs> yep, <Oof>. yep, yep. <laughs> um, shall we take a break before we move into part three? Yes, please. Okay, folks, um, there you go. We've had news and discussions so far. We've had some car launches. Of course, we can't go anywhere without a used car review. Coming up after the break, it's the Nissan Murano here on Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. We're into our final segment right now. It is the used car review. I've been teasing it since the beginning of the show. The Nissan Murano. Take it away, Daniel. I'm going to ask you, Richard. Have you seen one on the road? Never. Really? Mm. What? Never. Okay. Not that, uh, maybe I did, but you know what? It doesn't stick in my mind. Exactly. I was waiting for the answer from Richard. I knew I'll get it from Richard. Now, the thing is, when I was looking at this car as a used car review, the only reason why I came across it was because near my house, there's a chicken rice shop. <laughs> you know? Very famous, chicken rice, very famous chicken rice shop. And I, I just went past the shop. I was going to the shop next to it to buy something. And I suddenly realized there were two Nissan Muranos parked side by side. And I said, you know, I've never seen even one on the road. Now I see two parked side by side, you know. And the funny thing is one was, you know, gold in color because the car came originally in gold and the other one was silver. And it was so contrasting. And I was saying, hey. This is really interesting. Let's find out what's the used value of a Nissan Murano right now. Because it's still quite a good-looking vehicle. It's large. It's wide. It, when it came out, it, it, it was you know top of its class in terms of features. So when I shopped around online and I realized that you know if you, if you drive around, you actually do see Muranos, Richard. The only thing mm-hmm. is because it's so... It, it's a little bit boring right now, you know? Invisible. Yeah, it's invisible. You know, no one's thinking about it. It's, it's, there's, there's not been a new Murano in Malaysia for such a long time. People have just forgotten about it. So mm-hmm. even if you see it, you'll just not notice it, mm-hmm. you know? So after I did my research, the following week when I was driving around, 
Every day I'll spot a few. <laughs> Every day I'll spot a few. Yeah. And they're all in reasonably good condition because why? A lot of these cars were owned by people who bought them for, for very general use. They are exactly like Toyota Harrier owners, you know? Mm-hmm. And when the Murano came out, its direct rival was the Toyota Harrier. The only problem is the Toyota Harrier had that whole Harrier name, plus it had the Lexus version. So the, the, the Harrier sold, I think, you know, 100 times more than the Murano. I think I have an interesting view on the Murano. Okay. Because the, the, the Murano built to essentially compete with the Harrier, right? Right. But the Harrier, like you said, has a name already. Everybody bought one. Right. Everybody in PJ, Charas, Ampang, everybody had one. And of course, if you wanted the upgraded version, which was the Lexus RX450 or something like that, right? Right. The problem was with buying the Lexus is it looks exactly the same as the Toyota Harrier. Correct. And everybody was switching the logos around anyway. So what else could you get? And if you felt like you were a cut above if you lived in Bangsa, Bukit Damansara, TTDI, they all have the Nissan Murano. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And you know, the thing is, when the Murano came out first, one grey importer got very smart. You know, there's a tuning house from Japan called Impal, I-M-P-U-L. Yeah. And they tune Nissans. They are like TRD does for Toyota. But they're not very famous. So what he did was, he made a whole bunch of Impal badges, put it on a Murano, and he got he got it brought in as a tuned car. But it wasn't tuned, it just had badges on it. So you do still see a lot of <laughs> Nissan Murano Impal being, you know, advertised for sale. And then they, they try and put a little bit of premium on it. But, you know, the interior is exactly the same. It's got the same wheels. It just has badges that say Impal, you know? <laughs> Nothing else. Not even an exhaust tip. Not even not even a steering wheel, you know? Wow. Yeah, so this was a time when, you know, you could get away with a lot. Anyway, so there are a lot of these Impal versions. Don't get fooled by it. It's a basic Nissan Murano. Now, after I did my research, I remember that I had a couple of friends who actually owned these vehicles when they were new, the 2.5 and also the 3.5. So I gave them a call. Of course, over the years, they've sold it. Mm-hmm. Both of them had the same thing to say. Super reliable, no issue, great to drive, fantastic family vehicle. Okay? Mm. And I remember test driving the 2.5 when it came out, and I actually was very impressed with this, but... Me being me, I do not like big vehicles. I don't like large vehicles. I don't like SUVs. I like small sports cars. That's me, you know, because maybe because I'm just built that way. But Mm -hmm. I remember the Nissan Murano. It was very comfortable. Seats were nice. It even had the 350Z Fair Lady dashboard cluster, you know, the the cockpit cluster. Yeah. With the three individual dials. It was very sporty for its time. It didn't go around corners very nicely because it was raised up and it had, you know, softer suspension. It was designed for family use. It wasn't designed to go around corners fast. Now, the 3.5, I've not driven it. I had friends, I had a friend who owned it. He said it was very thirsty, but fantastic on the highway. I mean, he could do insane speeds on the highway and not feel a thing. But, you know, that's a big CC vehicle, 3.5. But the 2.5 today, this is what I want to talk about. If you're looking for something used, SUV, well-built, most probably never abused by the previous owner. Most probably easy to maintain because why? There are still a lot of places where you can get spare parts. Workshops are not complaining about sourcing for parts. Mm-hmm. This is a vehicle that you should consider. Now, think about this. At launch, 13 years ago, this vehicle was almost 300,000 ringgit. Okay? Mm. That's the first generation model. Today, what is the price? Now, if you look on the used car classifieds, you can get a Murano for as low as 19,000, 20,000 ringgit. That's the first gen, okay? Mm. 
Now, the first gen looks nice, but I, I prefer the second gen, a little bit more sharper, sleeker lights. And if you think about it, the second gen, which is the white car, which you see on DSF.ny, um, it still looks very fresh. You know, if you like something a little bit more modern, the, the second gen still looks very fresh. And the second gen, which has got a better engine, a better gearbox, much, you know, upgraded features and everything else, is still around 40,000 ringgit in the used car market. Now, at 40,000 ringgit, I think getting a car with this, I mean, getting an SUV that is this big, I mean, three people can sit at the back very comfortably. Richard, you can sit in front and someone mm. equally tall as you sit at the back. No issue, you know? Okay. And you still got a lot of luggage space, right? So if you're paying 40000 for the second generation, and, you know, people who buy these cars don't abuse it. They just drive it. They maintain it. They keep it going. So you'll get a car that's been looked after. It's easy to check it out. It's got decent amount of power. It's got 4x4 uh, you know, driving mode. Uh, I think it's a bargain. I think it's something that has been under underappreciated. And I think a lot of people after listening to this will actually consider going to a used car dealer to have a look, touch and feel. Because I know this segment, the Toyota Harrier is still king. But why mm. not look at a Nissan Murano instead? I'm surprised to hear Daniel say that uh, he prefers the newer generation in terms of looks than the than the first one because the first mm. one I think is today in 2022 it's very modern. <laughs> it it is very modern. I agree with you, Ari. But you know the, the reason why I'm more drawn to the second generation because if you look at the new gen, the, the, the first generation, you look at the grill and light, mm. it looks a lot like the Nissan Grand Livina from that era. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, there's there's some you know there's some you know design language within the family and and when you look at the second gen, it's totally unique. It looks like a Nissan Juke that has been stretched. You know, Rich, what's your verdict on either of these cars? If I can fit in it, I'd like one. <laughs> you will fit in it very well, Richard. <laughs> there you it's go. Got lots of space, and this is one car. Unlike your current car, when you park, you walk away, you'll turn and look at it and say, "Hey, good hey, looking." I still do that with mine. I'm like, <laughs> where, where did that scratch come from? Is that tire flat? Yeah. Do I need to replace that windscreen wiper? That's, that's a different kind of admiration. <laughs> <laughs> that's me thinking my wallet is shot for the next month. Right. Anyway, um, time for us to wrap up uh, for this week's show, ladies and gents. Thank you very much for joining us, of course, as per usual. If you miss any part of the show, download the podcast. Uh, get it from bfm.my or download it from the BFM app. That's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. On behalf of myself, Daniel and Arif, this has been Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.